I'm just going to say amen and go on home. <laughs> if you have your Bibles with you tonight, would you open them please to what she just sang about, the 8th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. On Sunday night, we're in a sermon series entitled Women of Faith, and we're looking at great women in the Bible who exhibited a greater faith. Now, most of you know the significant ones, but we're focusing really on the insignificant ones. A couple of weeks ago, we saw a mother who had a supernatural, extraordinarily great faith. So much, in fact, that the Lord Jesus Christ, impressed by her faith, casted a demon out of her daughter. Tonight, we're looking at another woman. Once again, a supernatural, extraordinarily great faith that is going to deliver her from sickness and suffering that she has experienced for 12 consecutive years. Non-stop. Luke chapter 8, beginning with verse 40. And it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him. For they were all waiting for him. They were gathered together waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus. He was a ruler of the synagogue. He fell down at Jesus' feet and besought Jesus that he would come into his house. For he had only one daughter. She was 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the people crowded around him, speaking of Jesus. And a woman having an issue of blood for 12 years, which had spent all of her savings upon doctors and physicians, and none of them could heal her. She came behind the Lord. She pressed through the crowd and touched the border of his garment. And immediately, instantly, her issue of blood was healed. Jesus responded to her touch by saying, Who touched me? When all denied, Peter and those disciples that were with him said, Master, the crowd is all around you. They're the ones who touched you. Why do you ask such a silly question? There's a little humor here. And Jesus said, somebody has touched me. For I perceive that their touch has drawn the power of God out of me. And when the woman saw that she was found out, she came trembling. She fell down before the Lord and declared unto him and before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And Jesus said to her and to the crowd, Daughter, be of good comfort, for thy faith has made you whole. Now go in peace. Sickness and suffering are a part of life. Sickness and suffering are a part of life for those that believe and for those who don't believe. For those who walk with God and for those who don't walk with God. For those who have a great mountaintop faith or for those who have 
a valley faith or no faith at all. We live in a world of sickness and suffering. And sickness and suffering can come to anyone at any time. Your faith, nor does my faith, protect us. Here we have a woman. The world that she lived in was sin-cursed, just like ours. It was rapidly declining, just like ours. Society in her day was headed to the deep, dark abyss, just like ours. And this woman who we're reading about has been suffering with a sickness, a medical condition, for over 12 years. 144 months, 624 weeks, 4,383 days. Not one single year, not one single month, not one single week, Not one single day of relief. Every day she wakes up to a new day. She must deal with this sickness and with this suffering. Her condition is uncontrollable bleeding. And again, it will not stop, it will not end, it will not cease. She is a wreck of a person. Physically, she's exhausted and she's weak because of the loss of blood. She's running on empty. Emotionally, she is moody and despondent, probably depressed. Mentally, she is confused and perplexed. She's troubled of mind about all of this. Spiritually, she's empty. Because of her condition, the religion of her day has deemed her unclean. She cannot come to the church of her day. She cannot worship the Lord in her church of that day. She is forbidden to come inside the synagogue. She's forbidden to worship God in a corporate setting. She's unclean. Socially, she's alone and forsaken. Because of her condition, she cannot be touched. Makes being married hard when you can't touch your spouse. Makes being a mother to children hard when you can't touch your children. I would speculate that her husband, if she had ones, left her. He got tired of fooling with her. Her children have abandoned her. They may be their grandchildren involved. They can't come around her. She's rejected. And financially, she's destitute and broke. Whatever little bit of money she had, she spent going from one doctor to another, one physician to another, one surgeon to another, one this, one that to another. Are you getting in your mind a picture of this one? Twelve years of running on empty, twelve years of depression, twelve years of a troubled mind, twelve years of being unclean, twelve years of being rejected socially from any contact by anybody. 
12 years of being penniless. Every single day of the last 12 years, her life has been a living hell. And I imagine there were many times she wanted to die. And maybe she even came close to taking her own life. Now she has sought medical help. Understand that. She has sought the help of the physicians of her day. And not one single one of them have anything to offer her. The Talmud, which is a book of Jewish traditions, tells us that her condition, this issue of blood that she was dealing with, has 11 possible treatments. May I suggest to you she underwent every one of the 11. And they were all acts of vanity and futility. Again, there is nothing that offers her any hope, any help. But then she hears word that Jesus is coming back to town. He had left briefly to go on a journey. Now he has come back. He's back in town. This one who calls himself the great I am. This one who claims to be the son of the living God. This one who touts himself as the Messiah. He's coming to town He's going to be passing through not far from where she lives. So she gets into the crowd that's gathered. And she pushes her way to the front. She needs to be in the front of the line. Now I want you to picture the fact that this woman has a hoodie on. She has a mask on, or a handkerchief, or a cloak across her face. Because remember, the religious leaders have deemed her what? Unclean. The society of her day says she's an outcast. She can have no relationship with God in the synagogue, and she can't have any relationship with people that requires touching. So here she is in a crowd of people. And if you're in a crowd of people, what are you doing when you're usually in a crowd of people? You're what? And so as she's pushing through the crowd trying to get in the front of the line, she better be disguised because if people spot her, they're going to curse her. They're going to hurt her. Because if she touches them, Not only is she unclean, but they're unclean. So you can see her dilemma. She's really putting her life in her hands in doing this in many ways. But disguised as she is, she pushes through the crowd, gets to the front of the line, and Jesus is coming by. Now she understands that Jesus is going to the house of Jairus. He's a big shot. He's the ruler of the synagogue. 
He's in the hall of fame of that town. She's a nobody. Insignificant. She's a zero. But yet, something tells her, if I can just touch him, I'm not going to interrupt him. I'm not going to stop him. I'm not going to do anything to delay his journey. I just want to touch him. If I can touch him, I believe he will heal me. Now, where do you think she got that idea from? Maybe she heard about what Jesus did for others. That's a possibility. But I also believe the Spirit of God spoke to her. You see, the Spirit of God is always at work. He's calling people to Jesus. He's at work tonight. He's speaking to some of you. You need to come to Jesus. You say, I'm already saved. You can come to Jesus for other things. And the Spirit of God impressed upon her mind and heart. Get to the front of that line and touch him. And he will make you whole. And she does exactly that. With a trembling hand, she grabs the hem of his garment. And Jesus stops. The disciples ask a silly question. Lord, why do you ask who touched you? Everybody's touching you. And he says, yes, they all are touching me. But somebody has touched me with the hand of faith. And they've drawn my power from me. Whenever you reach out to Jesus with a hand of faith, he will give you his power. Faith releases the power of God. She didn't understand the theology of it. She just knew she had to touch him, and she did. And that touch released the power of our Lord, and our Lord brought healing to her. It was instantaneous healing. It was complete healing. And it would be lasting healing. He didn't do a halfway job. He didn't do it for just a little while and it wore off. He did it instantly, completely, and lasting. And she's now whole. Now that's the story. A wonderful story of a woman of faith who understood that Jesus could help her. And by faith she reached out to him and found healing. What nobody down here could do, the one up there could do. Now what can we learn from her? Because remember, the Bible's not just stories about yesterday. They're stories about today. The Bible's not just about people who lived thousands of years ago. It's about people who's living right here, right now. If all you see is her story, you've missed it. What's your story? What's my story? And how does this story fit into our story? Because the Jesus of then is the Jesus of today. The God who healed then heals today. The God who responded to faith then responds to faith today. 
What can we learn? Four quick lessons. Lesson number one. Doctors are good. Listen to your pastor. Doctors are good. Doctors are necessary. Doctors are valuable to the healing of our bodies. But doctors have limitations. Remember this lady had been to multiple doctors, multiple physicians, multiple practitioners, multiple surgeons perhaps. She has researched it. The Talamed says if you do one of these 11 things, you should be healed. She's done all 11. And she's not healed. You see, doctors can only do so much. Do you have a doctor? If you don't have a doctor, you should have a doctor. The greatest Christian man who ever lived was Paul the Apostle. He had a doctor. He was a man of great faith, but he had a doctor. Because sometimes God does his healing through natural means. Sometimes he does it through supernatural means. But God is behind all healing. And God has given us doctors to provide healing for us. But they can only do so much. You see, doctors have limited knowledge. They're not gods. They're men who have studied the human body. Some of them have studied the human body for a number of years. But this body that we have is a complex thing. Would you not agree? God made it. And they study it to the best of their ability. But their knowledge is limited. They have limited tools. They have limited ways of treating our body. Even the best doctors know that there's certain things that don't work. What works on you may not work on me. What works on me may not work on you. The tools that they have to help us, the treatments that they can give to help us, they're limited. They have limited understanding, doctors do, of sickness and disease. We'd like to think that when we go to the doctor and we tell him our symptoms, he says, ah, I know exactly what you got. Here's a prescription. But more and more we go to the doctor and he doesn't know. Everything's a virus now. <laughs> you know what a virus is? I don't know. <laughs> so doctors have limited knowledge. They have limited tools. They have limited treatment. They have limited understanding of things that attack our bodies. They have limited time. You've been to the doctor lately. You know you, if you get five or six minutes out of him, you've done good. They grab your chart as they're walking into the thing, to your office. They have limited time. They, they have limited dollars. They have limited resources. So I want you to understand, this lady found out that there's some things doctors can't help you with physically. As good, as valuable, as necessary as they might be. We should use doctors, but we need to understand they have their limitations. And sometimes you've got to take your case <laughs> to a higher level. And she did. 
Second thing I think we need to learn. Suffering builds faith. I wonder how much faith this lady had 13 years ago. I mean, let's suppose 13 years ago she was high, wide, and handsome. She was just traveling down life's highway. She didn't have a care in the world. She had a husband. She had children. Maybe she had grandchildren. She had a nice home. She had three cars and a three-car garage. She wore nice clothes. She had jewelry. She eat out. She went to parties. Maybe let's just picture life was good for her. And then something happened. You know, life can change quickly, can it not? You say, I don't believe that. Hang around long enough, you'll believe it. Things can change quickly. They can turn on a dime, to use that expression. Thirteen years ago, while she may have been a believer, while she may have been a worshiper of God, maybe God was on the back burner. We tend to put Him there sometimes, don't we? We call on Him when we need Him. We don't need Him. We ignore Him. And maybe 13 years ago she was a casual, comfortable, carnal Christian. But you know something? When suffering comes into your life and sickness comes into your life and there's no human help available, it changes things. And sometimes God allows sickness. Sometimes God allows suffering because the purpose of it is to draw us to Him. To draw us to Him. That we might put Him back in His rightful place which is on the throne of our life. Not in the back seat on the throne. Not in the side chair on the throne. Not outside in the yard on the throne. Suffering has a way of increasing your faith. You'll never know that Jesus is all you need, that He's all you have. And she's reached that point. Terry Anderson was a captive of Islamic terrorists. He was held for some time in Lebanon. He was a casual believer until his captivity. And there in that cell, denied even the basic human necessities, he says this, We come close to God at our lowest moments. It's easy to get close to God when God is all you have. Isn't that true? When do you feel closest to God? When you're on the mountaintop basking in the sunshine? Or when you're in the valley and it's cold? And the wind and the rain is driving against you. We grow our faith in the valleys of life, not on the mountaintops. We grow our faith not on the smooth streets that are paved with gold, but on the gravel roads of life. 
And may I suggest to you this woman's faith really kicked into gear 12 years earlier. Not 13, 12 years earlier. And for every year, she never found healing. Her faith grew and grew and grew. Thirdly, the Lord meets all of our needs. A-L-L, all. Now, if I was to ask you what this lady needed, you'd say, Pastor, that's a dumb question. Pastor, she has an issue of blood. She needs the bleeding to stop. She needs a physical healing. That's what she needs, Pastor. That's part of what she needs. When God created you and I, He created us with three parts that make up our one person. You see, we were created in the image of God. God is three persons that make up one God, right? There's but one God, but He's three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. When God created us in His image, He created us as one person with three parts. We have a body that allows us to know the world under us. We have a soul, that's our mind, that's our heart, that's our will, that allows us to know the world around us. And we have something that no other creation of God has. We have a spirit. And that spirit allows us to know the God above us. And when Jesus looked at that woman, he saw more than just a lady who needed a physical healing of her body. He saw a lady that needed a, a soulish healing of her mind and her heart. And he saw a lady who needed a spiritual healing of her spirit. Because remember, she spiritually is unclean. She hasn't touched foot in the house of God for 12 years. She is dry as a desert sand when it comes to spiritual things because she can't worship with the people of God. You say, but she could worship by herself. Yes, you can worship by yourself, but I'm telling you, there's something about corporate worship that energizes you. That's why the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, particularly in the last days when you see Jesus coming. You be in the house of God. You need the energy. You need the support of God's people. She needed something spiritual. She also needed something social. Remember, for 12 years, she's not been touched. Can you imagine going 12 years and nobody touches you? Nobody shakes your hand. Nobody hugs your neck. Nobody gives you a kiss. Nobody gives you a hug. Nobody. She's an unclean outcast from the synagogue and from people. And Jesus sees that she needs more than just a touch to heal her body. She needs a touch to heal her soul and to heal her spirit. She needs total restoration. He doesn't do halfway jobs. 
Now listen to me carefully. That's why he calls her out when she touches him. You see, all she wanted to do was just get the touch. Slip back into the crowd and go away. But would the religious leaders believe her? Would they believe her that she is now been made whole? Would her family and friends believe her that she has been healed? She can now enter the synagogue. She can now be touched and loved as any person would desire. Would they believe her? I don't know. People tend to be skeptical sometimes, don't they? Somebody stands up and says, I've been healed in the name of Jesus for my cancer. Do we really believe that? Jesus is now going to do something. He calls her out. And she comes to him. Now you say, well, Jesus is trying to humiliate her. Jesus is trying to embarrass her. He's trying to shame her. No, he's not. What he's doing is publicly making a statement to every single person that's there. She now is whole. You don't have to hear her tell you. I'm telling you, he says. She now can be touched and included in family again because I have cleaned her up. Don't you love our Savior? He looked beyond her need and saw other needs, and he says, I'm going to do it all at once. And I'm sure the crowd sat there with their jaw dropped. Here is a man that can not only heal a physical body, he can heal a mind and a heart, and he can heal a spirit. He can make clean what everybody else says is unclean. He can make acceptable what everybody else says is unacceptable. And then lastly, we see lesson four, there's hope in the Lord. There's hope in the Lord. Remember I told you this is not just a story about a woman who lived hundreds and thousands of years ago, is it? It's a story about a lady But it's a story about you and me. It's a story about maybe we're facing something impossible. Maybe we're facing something tonight that nobody can help us with. We've been to the banker. We've been to the doctors. We've been to the lawyers. We've been to the police. They're all kind people, but they can't do nothing. Have you been to him? What's impossible for man is possible with God. Do you have a him possible? Maybe tonight you need to have one. Because when you do, you have hope. Man can go 40 days without food, 72 hours without water, 8 minutes without air but two seconds without hope. People can't live without hope. You take somebody's hope from them, they die. 
why it's always important to have hope. Without hope, we give up, check out, and go under. But with hope, we press on. And this lady found hope in Jesus. Can you find hope in Jesus? I want to close by reading you the words to my favorite song. This is a song I play just about every day in my car. Sometimes I'll just keep pushing the button and rolling it back. You say, Pastor, you're pretty technologically sound. I'm good at pushing that button. I would have asked Kim to sing it because she sings it when she sings it well. But I thought I'd just read the words to you because I want you to close by listening to these words. For a world that's lost in darkness, for a saint who's gone astray, for a sinner blind but searching for a child in need of faith, for the homeless and forsaken, for the hungry and the cold, for the prisoner and the captive, for the young and for the old. Impossible? There is a remedy for every sin-sick soul. There is a cure for all, all the pain and hurt and wrong. There is a solution for all the problems deep inside. There is a remedy. Help me out. And His name is Jesus Christ. For the bitter and for the lonely, for the weary and afraid, for the burdened and frustrated, for the discouraged and dismayed, for the mocked and persecuted, for the battered and for the wronged, for the scarred and for the wounded, for the weak and for the strong. There is a remedy for every sin-sick soul. There is a cure for all, all the pain and hurt and wrong. There is a solution for all the problems deep inside. There is a remedy and His name is For every tribe and every nation, for every color, every race, for every tongue and every language, for every time and every place. There is an answer to the questions. There is love for all the hate. There is a healer for the dying. He's the light, the truth, the way. There is a remedy. And His name is Jesus Christ. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.